Welcome to Another World Audiobooks. It is so good to have you here as we embark on a brand new adventure. I'm so excited to be bringing you The Return of Tarzan. Yes, oft-requested, much-loved book here. Uh, we we did the first Tarzan uh, quite a while back. I think it was back in 2019 at some point there. Um, so if you want to hear Tarzan of the Apes to, to kind of catch up where we're, we're uh, jumping right into the story here with the book number two, so go back and uh, you can listen to it there, or you can go to anotherworldaudiobooks.com, and then if you scroll down a little bit, you, there's a button that says purchase audiobooks, I think, or something like it, buy audiobooks or something like that. You can click on that, and that'll take you to the um, author direct app and you can purchase uh, the first Tarzan book right there and that just goes it's just a few bucks it goes to support the podcast and I would really really appreciate it if uh, you would be so kind as, as to support the podcast in that way if not though no worries we're bringing you uh, part two or book two of Tarzan of the Apes and you can go back in the podcast and just download those episodes and listen for free there so up to you whatever you want to do but uh, I'm so excited I love the the story of Tarzan and and uh, the adventure writing of Ed- Edgar Rice Burroughs is just a lot of fun. So a lot of good accents in this one, too. It's kind of hard to keep them all straight. But anyway, without further ado, I give you chapter one of The Return of Tarzan. Chapter one. The Affair on the Liner. Magnifique! Ejaculated the Countess de Coud beneath her breath. Eh? Questioned the Count, turning toward his young wife. What is it that is magnificent? And the Count bent his eyes in various directions, in quest of the object of her admiration. Oh, nothing at all, my dear, replied the Countess, a slight flush momentarily colouring her already pink cheek. I was but recalling with admiration those stupendous skyscrapers, as they call them, of New York. And the fair Countess settled herself more comfortably in her steamer chair, and resumed the magazine which, nothing at all, had caused her to let fall upon her lap. Her husband again buried himself in his book, but not without a mild wonderment that, three days out from New York, his countess should suddenly have realized an admiration for the very buildings she had but recently characterized as horrid. Presently, the Count put down his book. "'It is very tiresome, Olga,' he said. I think that I shall hunt up some others who may be equally bored, and see if we cannot find enough for a game of cards. You are not very gallant, my husband, replied the young woman, smiling. But as I am equally bored, I can forgive you. Go and play at your tiresome old cards, then, if you will. When he had gone, she let her eyes wander slyly to the figure of a tall young man stretched lazily in a chair not far distant. Magnifique, she breathed once more. The Countess Olga de Coud was twenty, her husband was forty. She was a very faithful and loyal wife, but as she had had nothing whatever to do with the selection of a husband, it is not at all unlikely that she was not wildly and passionately in love with the one that fate and her titled Russian father had selected for her. However, simply because she was surprised into a tiny exclamation of approval at sight of a splendid young stranger, it must not be inferred therefrom that her thoughts were in any way disloyal to her spouse. She merely admired, as she might have admired a particularly fine specimen of any species. Furthermore, the young man was unquestionably good to look at. 
As her furtive glance rested upon his profile, he rose to leave the deck. The Countess de Coud beckoned to a passing steward. "'Who is that gentleman?' she asked. "'He is booked, madame, as Monsieur Tarzan of Africa,' replied the steward. "'Rather a large estate,' thought the girl, but now her interest was still further aroused. As Tarzan walked slowly toward the smoking-room, he came unexpectedly upon two men whispering excitedly just without. He would have vouchsafed them not even a passing thought, but for the strangely guilty glance that one of them shot in his direction. They reminded Tarzan of melodramatic villains he had seen at the theatres in Paris. Both were very dark, and this in connection with the shrugs and stealthy glances that accompanied their palpable intriguing lent still greater force to the similarity. Tarzan entered the smoking-room and sought a chair a little apart from others who were there. He felt in no mood for conversation, and as he sipped his absinthe he let his mind run rather sorrowfully over the past few weeks of his life. Time and again he had wondered if he had acted wisely in renouncing his birthright to a man to whom he owed nothing. It is true that he liked Clayton, but, ah, but that was not the question. It was not for William Cecil Clayton, Lord Greystoke, that he had denied his birth. It was for the woman whom both he and Clayton had loved, and whom a strange freak of fate had given to Clayton instead of to him. That she loved him made the thing doubly difficult to bear, yet he knew that he could have done nothing less than he did do that night within the little railway station in the far Wisconsin woods. To him, her happiness was the first consideration of all, and his brief experience with civilization and civilized men had taught him that without money and position, life, to most of them, was unendurable. Jane Porter had been born to both, and had Tarzan taken them away from her future husband, it would doubtless have plunged her into a life of misery and torture. That she would have spurned Clayton once he had been stripped of both his title and his estates never for once occurred to Tarzan, for he credited to others the same honest loyalty that was so inherent a quality in himself. Nor, in this instance, had he erred. Could any one thing have further bound Jane Porter to a promise to Clayton, it would have been in the nature of some such misfortune as this overtaking him. Tarzan's thoughts drifted from the past to the future. He tried to look forward with pleasurable sensations to his return to the jungle of his birth and boyhood, the cruel, fierce jungle in which he had spent twenty of his twenty-two years. But who, or what, of all the myriad jungle life would be there to welcome his return? Not one. Only Tantor the elephant could he call friend. The others would hunt him or flee from him, as had been their way in the past. Not even the apes of his own tribe would extend the hand of fellowship to him. If civilization had done nothing else for Tarzan of the apes, it had, to some extent, taught him to crave the society of his own kind, and to feel with genuine pleasure the congenial warmth of companionship. And, in the same ratio, had it made any other life distasteful to him. It was difficult to imagine a world without a friend, without a living thing who spoke the new tongue which Tarzan had learned to love so well. And so it was that Tarzan looked with little relish upon the future he had mapped out for himself. As he sat musing over his cigarette, his eyes fell upon a mirror before him, and in it he saw reflected a table at which four men sat at cards. Presently one of them rose to leave, and then another approached, 
and Tarzan could see that he courteously offered to fill the vacant chair that the game might not be interrupted. He was the smaller of the two whom Tarzan had seen whispering just outside the smoking room. It was this fact that aroused a faint spark of interest in Tarzan, and so, as he speculated upon the future, he watched in the mirror the reflection of the players at the table behind him. Aside from the man who had but just entered the game, Tarzan knew the name of but one of the other players. It was he who sat opposite the new player, Count Raoul de Coude, whom an over-attentive steward had pointed out as one of the celebrities of the passage, describing him as a man high in the official family of the French Minister of War. Suddenly, Tarzan's attention was riveted upon the picture in the glass. The other swarthy plotter had entered and was standing behind the Count's chair. Tarzan saw him turn and glance furtively about the room, but his eyes did not rest for a sufficient time upon the mirror to note the reflection of Tarzan's watchful eyes. Stealthily, the man withdrew something from his pocket. Tarzan could not discern what the object was, for the man's hand covered it. Slowly, the hand approached the Count, and then, very deftly, the thing that was in it was transferred to the Count's pocket. The man remained standing where he could watch the Frenchman's cards. Tarzan was puzzled, but he was all attention now, nor did he permit another detail of the incident to escape him. The play went on for some ten minutes after this, until the Count won a considerable wager from him who had last joined the game, and then Tarzan saw the fellow back of the Count's chair nod his head to his confederate. Instantly, the player arose and pointed a finger at the Count. Had I known that Monsieur was a professional card sharp, I had not been so ready to be drawn into the game, he said. Instantly, the Count and the two other players were upon their feet. Count de Coud's face went white. "'What do you mean, sir?' he cried. "'Do you know to whom you speak?' "'I know that I speak for the last time to one who cheats at cards,' replied the fellow. The Count leaned across the table and struck the man full in the mouth with his open palm, and then the others closed in between them. "'There is some mistake, sir,' cried one of the other players. "'Why, this is Count de Coud of France.' "'If I am mistaken,' said the accuser, "'I shall gladly apologize. "'But before I do so, first let Monsieur le Count explain the extra cards "'which I saw him drop into his side pocket.' "'And then the man whom Tarzan had seen drop them there "'turned to sneak from the room. "'But, to his annoyance, he found the exit barred by a tall, grey-eyed stranger. "'Pardon,' said the man brusquely, attempting to pass to one side. Wait, said Tarzan. But why, monsieur? exclaimed the other petulantly. Permit me to pass, monsieur. Wait, said Tarzan. I think that there is a matter in here that you may doubtless be able to explain. The fellow had lost his temper by this time, and with a low oath seized Tarzan to push him to one side. The ape-man but smiled as he twisted the big fellow about and, grasping him by the collar of his coat, "'escorted him back to the table, struggling, cursing, and striking in futile remonstrance. "'It was Nicholas Rokov's first experience with the muscles that had brought their savage owner "'victorious through encounters with Numa the lion and Turkos the great bull ape. "'The man who had accused Dekud and the two others who had been playing "'stood looking expectantly at the Count.' Several other passengers had drawn toward the scene of the altercation, and all awaited the denouement. 
"'The fellow is crazy,' said the Count. "'Gentlemen, I implore that one of you search me.' "'The accusation is ridiculous,' this from one of the players. "'You have but to slip your hand in the Count's coat pocket, "'and you will see that the accusation is quite serious,' insisted the accuser. And then, as the others still hesitated to do so, "'Come, I shall do them myself if no one will.' And he stepped forward toward the Count. "'No, monsieur,' said Decoud. "'I will submit to a search only at the hands of a gentleman.' "'It is unnecessary to search the Count. The cards are in his pocket. I myself saw them placed there.' All turned in surprise toward this new speaker, to behold a very well-built young man urging a resisting captive toward them by the scruff of his neck. "'It is a conspiracy!' cried Decoud angrily. "'There are no cards in my coat!' And with that, he ran his hand into his pocket. As he did so, tense silence reigned in the little group. The Count went dead white, and then, very slowly, he withdrew his hand, and in it were three cards. He looked at them in mute and horrified surprise, and slowly the red of mortification suffused his face. Expressions of pity and contempt tinged the features of those who looked on at the death of a man's honor. "'It is a conspiracy, monsieur.' It was the grey-eyed stranger who spoke. "'Gentlemen,' he continued, "'Monsieur le Count did not know that those cards were in his pocket. They were placed there without his knowledge as he sat at play. From where I sat in that chair yonder, I saw the reflection of it all in the mirror before me. This person, whom I just intercepted in an effort to escape, placed the cards in the Count's pocket.' Decoud had glanced from Tarzan to the man in his grasp. "'Mon Dieu!' "'Nicholas!' he cried. "'You?' Then he turned to his accuser and eyed him intently for a moment. "'And you, monsieur, I did not recognize you without your beard. It quite disguises you, poor witch. I see it all now. It is quite clear, gentlemen.' "'And what shall we do with them, monsieur?' asked Tarzan. "'Turn them over to the captain?' "'No, my friend,' said the count hastily. It is a personal matter, and I beg that you will let it drop. It is sufficient that I have been exonerated from the charge. The less we have to do with such fellows, the better. But, monsieur, how can I thank you for the great kindness you have done me? Permit me to offer you my card, and should the time come when I may serve you, remember that I am at your command. Tarzan had released Rokoff, who, with his confederate, Horvich, had hastened from the smoking-room. Just as he was leaving, Rokoff turned to Tarzan. "'Monsieur will have ample opportunity to regret his interference in the affairs of others.' Tarzan smiled, and then, bowing to the Count, handed him his own card. The Count read, M. Jean, C. Tarzan. "'Monsieur Tarzan,' he said. He said, May indeed wish that he had never befriended me, for I can assure him that he has won the enmity of two of the most unmitigated scoundrels in all Europe. Avoid him, monsieur, by all means. I've had more awe-inspiring enemies, my dear Count, replied Tarzan with a quiet smile. Yet I am still alive and unworried. I think that neither of those two will ever find the means to harm me. Let us hope not, monsieur, said Decoud. But yet, it would do no harm to be on the alert. 
and to know that you have made at least one enemy today who never forgets and never forgives, and in whose malignant brain there are always hatching new atrocities to perpetrate upon those who have thwarted or offended him. To say that Nicholas Rokhov is a devil would be to place a wanton affront upon his satanic majesty. That night, as Tarzan entered his cabin, he found a folded note upon the floor that had evidently been pushed beneath the door. He opened it and read, M. Tarzan. Doubtless you did not realize the gravity of your offense, or you would not have done the thing you did today. I am willing to believe that you acted in ignorance and without any intention to offend a stranger. For this reason, I shall gladly permit you to offer an apology, and, on receiving your assurances that you will not again interfere in affairs that do not concern you, I shall drop the matter. Otherwise, but I am sure that you will see the wisdom of adopting the course I suggest. Very respectively, Nicholas Rokov. Tarzan permitted a grim smile to play about his lips for a moment. Then he promptly dropped the matter from his mind and went to bed. In a nearby cabin, the Countess de Coude was speaking to her husband. "'Why so grave, my dear Raoul?' she asked. "'You have been as glum as could be all evening. What worries you?' "'Olga, Nicholas is on board. Did you know it?' "'Nicholas!' she exclaimed. "'But it is impossible, Raoul. It cannot be. Nicholas is under arrest in Germany.' So I thought myself until I saw him today, him and that other arch-scoundrel, Paulvich. Olga, I cannot endure his persecution much longer, not even for you. Sooner or later, I shall turn him over to the authorities. In fact, I am half-minded to explain all to the captain before we land. On a French liner, it were an easy matter, Olga, permanently, to settle this nemesis of ours. Oh, no, Raoul! cried the countess, sinking to her knees before him as he sat with bowed head upon a divan. "'Do not do that. Remember your promise to me. Tell me, Raoul, that you will not do that. Do not even threaten him, Raoul.' Decoud took his wife's hands in his, and gazed upon her pale and troubled countenance for some time before he spoke, as though he would wrest from those beautiful eyes the real reason which prompted her to shield this man. "'Let it be as you wish, Olga.' he said at length. I cannot understand. He has forfeited all claim upon your love, loyalty, or respect. He is a menace to your life and honor, and the life and honor of your husband. I trust you may never regret championing him. I do not champion him, Raoul, she interrupted vehemently. I believe that I hate him as much as you do, but, oh, Raoul, blood is thicker than water. I should today have liked to sample the consistency of his, growled Decoud grimly. The two deliberately attempted to besmirch my honor, Olga. And then he told her of all that had happened in the smoking room. Had it not been for this utter stranger, they had succeeded, for who would have accepted my unsupported word against the damning evidence of those cards hidden on my person? I had almost begun to doubt myself when this Monsieur Tarzan dragged your precious Nicholas before us and explained the whole cowardly transaction. Monsieur Tarzan? asked the Countess in evident surprise. Yes. Do you know him, Olga? I have seen him, 
A steward pointed him out to me. I did not know that he was a celebrity, said the Count. Olga Decoud changed the subject. She discovered suddenly that she might find it difficult to explain just why the steward had pointed out the handsome Monsieur Tarzan to her. Perhaps she flushed the least little bit, for was not the Count, her husband, gazing at her with a strangely quizzical expression. Ah, she thought, a guilty conscience is the most suspicious thing. Alrighty, thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Thanks for listening. I am just having such a blast doing this podcast. Um, I've been doing it for quite a while now, and it is just so cool to see it growing. It's so cool to see uh, fans of the podcast, you know, share it out with with friends and family and that sort of thing. So, if you know anybody who might enjoy these stories, we've got tons of them. There's Pride and Prejudice. I mean, we we, we did Frankenstein. We've done five Sherlock books. Can you believe it? Oh, speaking of Sherlock books, I I meant to to bring this up. You can now actually get a, a Sherlock. Um, um, collection as well as an in- adventure collection so if you go to another world of audiobooks and scroll down and it says buy audiobooks and you click on that it'll take you to where you can buy audiobooks directly from uh another world and you can see there's there's the sherlock collection and it's five full audiobooks all five sherlock books that we've done all compiled into one and it is a tremendous price like it's over half off of what you would pay if you bought all those books individually so five audiobooks for like the price of two which is is pretty cool and and then there's also the adventure pack so you can get the adventure collection that has uh princess of mars tarzan uh, the first book tarzan and uh one of the sherlock books and it also has treasure island in it so four audiobooks for about the price of of one and a half or something like that so go ahead and check that out uh, anotherworldaudiobooks.com great way to support the podcast if you want to do such a thing uh or if you want to become a patron of the podcast you can go to patreon.com and uh, i think it's patreon.com slash anotherworldaudiobooks don't quote me on that, but you can uh, go to anotherworldaudiobooks.com. Find the links there to, to go check out the Patreon. And on the Patreon, if you uh, the different levels have different perks. So if you um, start contributing, I think it's at the $10 level, you start getting free audiobooks. So <laughs> go ahead and check that out. And uh, yeah, I hope that uh, you you know in, enjoy our, what we're doing here. And if you think it's worthwhile, uh, yeah, consider supporting in that way. But if not, oh, and then the merch. I, I yeah. Hey, guys, check out the merch. It is so cool. I am so proud of, of it, and uh, I think you'll really like it. A great way to kind of show off your support of the podcast and support the podcast at the same time, as well as get awesome merch. So anyway, uh, enough blathering. Thank you so much for listening, and remember to share this with somebody that you know who might enjoy a free audiobook. Talk to you next time. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When I was in school, I absolutely hated writing. It wasn't until I was a bit older that I came to understand the power of words. If you're a business owner, you understand that power too. A business blog, when done right, can drive sales, increase revenue, and get you more customers. But as a business owner, you probably don't have the time to do all that writing. Plus, if you're not a copywriter by trade, you might feel like you're just kind of throwing words out there and they're not actually accomplishing anything. The good news is, there's a simple solution. Check it out. I call it the ultimate blog post checklist for businesses with online stores. This checklist will allow you to write better, more effective articles that convert readers into buyers. It's full of easy-to-follow examples to get your creativity flowing based on experience of nearly a million words written. And best of all, it's effective on any type of article in any industry or niche. I've successfully used this exact checklist on topics from pool table reviews to investment advice. Tired of spending tons of time writing stuff that doesn't convert? This checklist will change that by giving you highly effective blog posts and articles that transform readers into paying customers. Go to Invicta.Enterprises slash free checklist and start saving time and transforming your writing now. That's Invicta.Enterprises slash free checklist. 